to introduce our guest speaker this morning to you. Praise God, over 20 years of pastoral ministry at Rama Bible Training Center, the dean of students for several years, travels internationally all over the world. We're honored to have not only Brother Tony here, but his lovely wife, Lisa. So, Tony, if you'd come, we want to hear what you've got to say. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Is it, can you see me if I stay down here? Yeah. All right, very, well, I know y'all can on the front row, but I'm on the big screen. All right, uh, man, good morning. It is so good to be back in Hayward, and uh, we always love being out here. We love our fellowship with Pastor Mark and Brenda, and uh, you guys seriously have some of the finest pastors anywhere right here in Hayward. Great giftings, great vision, great heart for people, and uh, we just always have loved being a part of this church. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. It's been such an honor and privilege to be in your presence. And Lord, because of that wonderful blood, because of that wonderful grace, Father, we know that we're able to come boldly before your presence. Lord, without any sense of guilt, shame, or inferiority, not because we've been perfect, but Father, because you've been so good to us and you've forgiven us and cleansed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, because of him, we have right standing with you today. We are the children of God. And Lord, we behold the manner of love that you've bestowed upon us. So Father, we're so glad to be accepted in your presence and so glad to be the temple of the Holy Ghost and so glad to have the greater one living on the inside of us. So glad to be filled with the Spirit. And Father, thank you that as we go into your holy word that you're going to give us insight and understanding. You're going to speak to our heart and help us to know you more, love you more, uh, respond to you more effectively. And Father, we thank you that our lives will be changed and transformed by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today. We're going to get into the word. As a matter of fact, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. But I want to tell you a story first. And it has to do with a football team. How many of you are glad football season's coming up here? And um, this actually is a high school football uh, team, and they had a new coach. And this coach, it was his very first year to coach this particular team. And so he began to do some research on the history of the team and wanted to know what happened last year, a year before. So he just knew what he was working with. And he found out that one of the first games that season Uh, was against a team that had beaten them last year when he wasn't there, but the year before this other team had beaten them 63 to 0. Anybody here ever been on a team that got beat really bad like that? Man, it's no fun. Um, My first year of seventh grade football, that was way back when, and and of course uh, that was our first year to ever play tackle. So uh, we had never played before. We were a brand new team all getting together. And, and uh, one of the, it was the very first game of our seventh grade year. Uh, we got on the bus and drove 30 miles to play this other school. And, and we were a bunch of, bunch of seventh grade kids. We were doing chants and cheers. And, <laughs> and we were so excited and all that. We got beat 53 to zero. <laughs> and uh, I, I knew we were in trouble. I was one of the captains on our team. And when we went out to meet the other captains on the team, uh, man, one of these kids was shaving. 
Um, I don't mean right then and there, but I mean, you could tell this kid had stubble and, and all that. I mean, we're seventh graders for goodness sake. And I had just quit wearing pajamas with feet in them. And I'm sitting here looking up at this kid and, you know, uh, but we couldn't stop that kid and he, they just destroyed us. And I remember what it was like the next year when we went to go play that team in our eighth grade year. Man, we were not looking forward to it because they had beaten us like a drum the year before. And, and so anyway, get back to the story. The uh, coach of this high school team, his first year there, uh, he found out this other team had beaten them 63 to 0. And uh, so he's in his mind, he says, man, I've got to do something to motivate my team to be ready to play this team that beat him so bad the year before. And he comes up with this plan, and, and what he does is he goes out and buys this big bed sheet, and he gets some paint, and on the bed sheet he paints in real big, bold uh, numbers, 63 to 0. And he hangs that up in the locker room. And, and his, his, his intention is that all week before the game, as they're going in and out for practice, his team is going to see that, and it's going to remind them, and they're going to get mad. He wants them to get mad about getting beaten so that they'll really, you know, muster up everything to, you know, get even and get ahead and, and that type of thing. And he's got this plan laid out, and, and as he gets up to game time, he, he stands right under that sheet. Uh, it's hanging high up on the wall. He's standing under that sheet and giving him the pep talk. And he's pointing at that and making reference to that. And, and he's, he's getting them mad and getting them fired up. And he does such a good job in the pep talk. You know, he gets them shouting and they're ready to go. And then here's some, the other part of his plan. When he gets to the end of his pep talk and he's reached this crescendo of emotion with his team, he reaches up and he rips the sheet off. And then here was his plan. He was going to begin tearing it into shreds. And that was going to, you know, turn them into just wild, you know, uncontrolled, you know, <laughs> athletes to go out and conquer and all that. But what happens is he got so excited, he got so caught up in the moment that he reaches up and he tears the sheet down. And when he tries to tear it, he didn't realize he doubled it over. <laughs> and so, you know, he does this big thing, rips it down, and then he's going to tear it. And he... And he's stuck. He can't tear the thing. And all of a sudden, his players start noticing he can't tear the sheet. And so they quit cheering and they stop yelling. And they just kind of start looking at him. And then it kind of hits them. Yeah, we're a bunch of losers. You know, and, and the enthusiasm just goes out of the room. And, and everybody gets real quiet. And the coach is up there just, you know, he can't tear the sheet. And I want to pick up here with what the coach actually said. These are his words as he was there in that terrible moment. Um, he says, then suddenly, one of the smaller players on our team, Mark Cristaldi, got up from the back of the room and came charging at me. He grabbed the bed sheet and began ripping it with his teeth. He tore it into pieces, <laughs> tossing them around the room. The team jumped in and began throwing the pieces in the air and shredding every last inch. The next thing I knew, they were howling in a war cry together. And each of them had a piece of the sheet tied to their helmet, shoved into their belt, or holding it in their hand and waving it in the air when we took the field. 
And the coach says later in the game, I called for one of our players and said, come here, son, I want you to go in. And he said, coach, I can't go in. I don't have a piece of the thing. And by that time, the coach had forgotten. He said, piece of the thing, what thing? And he said, you know, a piece of the thing we tore up in the locker room. And the coach said, I walked over to a kid who had two of them attached to his helmet and, uh, and yanked one of them off and handed it to the kid and said, okay, here you go, kid. Now get in the game. And the coach went on to say, we won the game. And he said, and it wasn't because I had motivated them in the locker room. It was because Mark Cristaldi stepped out and put himself on the line. When he did that, the team members rallied around each other, something I had not been able to accomplish on my own. I love that story. I think that is so fun. And one of the great lessons, there's multiple lessons in that story, but one of the great lessons there is that external motivation can only go so far. Every coach knows that he can try to give the pep talk. He can try to create the mentality. But when it comes right down to it, every member of the team has to take ownership. See, what that piece of the thing, what that sheet represented was not just the coach's desire to win, but when it got all torn up and shredded and and everybody had a piece, what it said was that everybody had taken ownership for that mission, for that vision, for that quest. It represented every single person's desire and commitment to win. It was their passion. It was their goal, their motivation. And, and if you're looking for a message, uh, to, a title for today's message, it's you've got a piece of the thing. Now get in the game. Yeah. <laughs> do you know, do you ever stop and think about like when you guys have communion Sunday and uh, Pastor Mark would get up and read the passages and, and uh, Jesus uh, took the bread representing his body and he tore it and, and had everybody tear off a piece And he said, this is my body. Everybody in the church gets a piece of the thing. You're taking ownership. You're saying that Jesus died for me. And I want to look today at what it means for us today to have a piece of the thing. Not just a physical sheet, but what it means for each one of us to be united with Christ identified with Christ so that the the vision for this church isn't just what Pastor Mark and Brenda see, but it's everybody has embraced that vision. Now, they can get us started for sure, you know, and they're the primary ones, no doubt, that God is going to use to give vision and direction and things like that. But again, external motivation will only go so far. Everybody has to understand this is, we are, we are the body of Christ. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles. I said turn to Romans chapter 6, and there's a really interesting passage of Scripture here. And Paul says in Romans 6, 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, how many of you have known before you came into this sanctuary today that Jesus Christ was crucified. Let me, let me see your hand. You knew that. That's nothing new to you. Uh, but Paul introduces a, a, an interesting concept 
He says, our old man was crucified with him. So Paul is saying something about Jesus really didn't do that totally on his own or totally by himself. He wasn't uh, alone when he did that. Now, some people will look at this statement naturally and they'll say, yeah, well, there were two people that died, one on either side of Jesus. How many remember that? The two thieves on the cross, I think they say. Um, and somebody, you know, somebody jokingly said, I didn't think this was very funny, but they said, yeah, one of those guys must have been Paul's dad. Because he said, my old man was crucified. With hey, you know, no, that's not, not, not what Paul was talking about. When Paul said, our old man, I don't think we should call our dads our old man. I think that's kind of disrespectful. Paul was talking about our old regenerate nature before Christ, who we were before Christ. How many of you know the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a, a new creature? Aren't you glad that the old has rolled away, the old has been done away with? And, and you say, well, if, if I'm a new creature, what happened to the old man? Well, our old man, our old nature was crucified with Christ. Amen. You remember when Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ? Yeah. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. Nevertheless, I live, yeah. yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There, there is a union, there is an identification that has happened. Did you ever go into a place and um, they say, we need to see some ID? Sure. What's ID stand for? Identification. That identification means we need to see some verification that you are who you say you are. So identification, li listen to this, identification establishes your identity. You have a new identity in Christ. Yes. Amen. You're not the person that you used to be. You have a new identity. And the only way that identity ever gets verified is through identification. Now, we think of identification as a driver's license. I'm using that term today in a little bit of a theological term. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, even before He went to the cross... Jesus identified Himself with us. He became a part of the human race. Jesus shared, in essence, He shared our identity. He, he became united to us. Now look at this together with me. Uh, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. So I'm going to propose to you today that when Jesus was on the cross... He wasn't there simply in His own identity. That He had become identified with us. And that our nature, and, and there's all these different ways you can say it, but He literally, He bore our nature. He took our nature, our sin, He took our sin upon Himself so that when He died, He wasn't dying for Himself. Amen. He didn't have anything to die for. He wasn't being penalized for his sins. Jesus never sinned. Amen. But, but our old man, our old nature, he identified with us so that he could die as our substitute. Amen. So that when Jesus died on the cross, 
I mean, yes, literally it was Him dying on the cross, but it was us dying on the cross too. Amen. That when, when If you could have physically seen Jesus dying on the cross, you would have just seen Him. But in the mind of God, that was Jesus and every other human being that had ever lived. He was... Our, our old nature was crucified with Christ. Amen. Paul says... Knowing this, you got to know, everybody say, I got to know this, that our old man was crucified with, everybody say with, With. our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died, say this, I died on the cross. cross. See, it wasn't just Jesus, our old man was crucified with him. That he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we, look at verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. If we died with, we shall live with. See, we got united to Him. We got identified with Him. We have a new identity because he, He came and shared our identity with us so that we could share His identity. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Let me read verse 6 to you in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over our lives. Now, I want to I do an illustration. I'm going to pick somebody. Let's see. I, it's got to be somebody who leads worship here. Somebody whose birthday... I know, Tom. Why don't you come up here? Come on up here, Tom. Everybody say, Happy Birthday, Tom. Now, I'm sorry that this, it, this is not going to be all that nice. It'll get nice, but it starts bad. All right? Yeah, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he did it first service. He did a great job. That's why I'm letting him do it again. And uh, I'm going to pay as much this service as I paid you last service, just as much. Um, But when you get to be the preacher, which I'm the preacher today, you get to be the good guy in the illustration. So I am going to represent Jesus today. Um, Tom, even though it's his birthday, I hate to do this to the guy on his birthday, but Tom is going to represent evil, sinful, fallen humanity. He is the world. He is, he is fallen humanity. Now, um, when, when, God, when, God first, when God first created Adam and Eve, God was right here. But humanity, Adam and Eve, made a decision. What decision did they make? That they did not want to do things God's way. That they actually chose to follow Satan's advice rather than God's commandments. So humanity, give me just a nice little push away. Humanity said, God, don't want anything to do with you. And so because God is a gentleman, don't overdo it, Tom. Because Because God is a gentleman. Because God is a gentleman. And mankind said, we don't want you, God stepped away. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Death is separation. So, uh, God and man were now separated. And, you know, man began to perpetuate the human race. And 
had just everything bad, sin, murder, disease, war, you know, every kind of hatred, you know, every kind of vice, everything bad was happening. And God's heart was so yearning. But God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only Son. And Jesus, when He came, He came completely in the form of man. He was a man. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among. Now, the Bible is clear and it says Jesus was made like unto us in every way that we are, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless. So what Jesus did was He became human. He became man. And the Bible says He took on flesh and blood so that He could die. Why did Jesus become a man? So He could die. And, and Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to put your arm out here. Forget for a minute, we're not Jesus and sinful humanity. Now we're Tony and Tom, all right? So something happens and there's some kind of mysterious thing happening. And Tom and I become Siamese twins. We are now joined together. And, you know, imagine there's some kind of magical rope around our... our and, and we can never be separated. We are inseparable from this moment on. So that means that if I win the mega lottery and I now am the recipient of $50 million and 5000 a week for life, that I am going to now begin riding in the finest cars... Uh, riding in luxury private jets. I'm going to be going on the coolest vacations. I'm going to be eating in the most amazing restaurants. I mean, my life now is just going to be, you know, not that that's not what I do with the money. Don't misunderstand me. I'd, I'd pay off the church here. I do, but you know, but. But just for the sake of illustration, I'm not acting spiritual, so I'm going to have all these wonderful fleshly indulgences. So guess what? Not only do I get all those vacations and restaurants and things like that, but guess what? I'm joined with Tom, and so whatever I get, he gets. Now, this thing works both ways. Not only does he get the benefits of anything I get, but, you know, if Tom is being careless and he steps off the curb into the path of an oncoming bus, he gets hit by the bus, I get hit by the bus. Okay? See, this is identification because we are now sharing an identity because we're now joined together. Now... Let's go back. Let's go back to humanity, evil, fallen, sinful humanity, all messed up. And Jesus, Jesus comes in his purity and in his holiness, and he joins himself to humanity. He becomes one of us. And the problem is, there's a bus coming. And that bus that's coming is called. Judgment of sin. Jesus is sinless, but he's joined himself to sinful humanity. And so Jesus does something because he's joined himself to humanity. He says, Jesus says, I'm going to turn humanity away. I'm going to take 
the blow from the bus. I'm going to take the blow from the bus. Now, in reality, this is evil, sinful humanity, but when Jesus literally went to the cross, you and I weren't even born yet. But when Jesus stepped in front of the bus and took the blow, that was humanity being judged. When Jesus took the blow, the impact. But now here's what happened. Let's go back to our arms being joined together. Jesus dies on the cross, but our old man was crucified with Christ. But after three days and three nights, Jesus is quickened. He's made alive. And when Jesus is made alive, (laughs) and when Jesus is raised, And when Jesus is made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, see, man, God, Jesus took all the negative so that humanity could get all the positive. You can call that identification because Jesus began to share the identity of humanity. Or you can call it substitution because Jesus went, substituted himself took the punishment, but then when, you know, after the three days and nights and and Jesus was raised from the dead, humanity was raised from the dead. You can be seated, Tom. Thank Thank you. you. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday. Somebody can say, Tom, what happened on your birthday? Well, I was crucified with Christ and, um, and was raised together with Him and made to sit together with Him in heaven. That's what I got for my birthday. But you know what? This baptistry back here, um, what is it over there? Yeah. That baptistry. See, when you get baptized in water, when, when the pastor takes you and dunks you under the water, what he's saying is you died and were buried with Christ. Hallelujah. See, you're, you're showing an outward identification with something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Literally... Your death, burial, and resurrection with Christ happened 2,000 years ago when He was. But symbolically, you're proclaiming it through the object lesson of baptism. Now, notice that the pastor, have you ever noticed when they take you under the water? That's only half of it. You don't want a pastor with amnesia. And then gets about here and says, how's the rest of that go? Oh, yeah, risen to walk in newness of life with Christ. See, when you go down in the water, you're saying, I was dead and I was buried with Christ. The same way that he went into the tomb, I went into the water, the watery grave. The same way that Jesus raised Christ from the dead, I've been raised to walk in the newness of life. All right? So, knowing, first of all, that... um, Our old man was crucified with Christ. Isn't that awesome? Our old man, our old nature was crucified with Christ. Number two, there's another verse a few verses later in the book of Romans chapter 6, Romans 6, 11. And actually, let's look at verse 10. Let's look at Romans 6, 10. Because this, we can't understand ourselves unless we first understand Jesus. 
It says about Jesus, for the death that he died, he died to sin once. Now, notice this does not say he died for sin. Have you ever heard somebody say, Jesus died for your sins? Have you ever heard that? Now, that is true. That's just not what this verse says. And there's other verses that say he died for our sin. But once he had died for our sin, then he died to sin. That's a totally different meaning. When you die to something, uh, let's say that you were obsessed with and addicted to donuts. And you just had, I mean, you just ate donuts all the time. And then you realize that I can't keep doing this. And so you decide, okay, I'm never going to have another donut as long as I live. When you make that decision, if if you enforce that decision, then you died two donuts. Okay, you used to be united to donuts. Now you're saying, I'm separating from donuts. Can we look at that verse again? Jesus died to sin. So on the cross, our sin was placed upon Him. Okay? But after He had died for our sin, then in the resurrection, He died to sin. He threw off our sin, the punishment, the penalty from our past. He died to sin. Now let me ask you this. In that Jesus died to sin once... How separated is Jesus from sin? Is he 97% separated from sin? He is 100% dead to sin. 100% separated, dead to sin. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. How united is Jesus to God? Is he 50% united with God? No, he's 100% united with God. Say say this with me. Jesus Jesus is 100% dead to sin. And he's 100% alive to God. He's really something, isn't he? Now, let's look at verse 11. Likewise. Likewise. You know what likewise means? Also. It it means equally, similarly, or in like manner. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you out here today? Do you know what he just said? He said, in the exact same way that you think of and see, that word reckon means to consider or to see or to think. In the exact same way, likewise, in the same way that you see Jesus dead to sin, but alive unto God, see yourself the exact same way. Why? Because your old man was crucified with Christ. And you look at Ephesians chapter 2, you were, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you he made alive together with Christ. 
And He raised you together with Christ and made you to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. So Romans 6, 11, likewise, you also reckon yourself, consider yourself, see yourself, think of yourself as being dead to sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, people look at that and say, well, it's hard for me to do that because, man, I messed up last week. I messed up this morning, as a matter of fact. I messed up the other day. I committed a sin and things like that. The Bible doesn't say for you to look at yourself in the light of your past performance. You need to see yourself in Christ. See yourself as who God says you are, as who God has made you to be. Now, there is a theology that some people embrace, and they say, you know, you're just an old sinner. You're just a worm of the dust. And see, when people convince you that you're just an old sinner, that you're just a worm of the dust, then when temptation comes your way, I have a question. Why shouldn't you just go ahead and sin? Because you're just an old sinner anyway. But I'm going to tell you this. If you, if you were crucified with Christ, dead with Christ, buried with Christ, quickened with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ in heavenly places, now you have a reason to say no to that temptation. Because that's not who you are. You're a new creature in Christ. Your old man was crucified with Christ. That... that Deviant behavior belongs to the old man, doesn't belong to the new man. Because you're a new man, you can say no to things connected to the old man. So number one, you need to know that your old man was crucified with Christ. Number two, you need to consider yourself the same way you consider Jesus dead to sin but alive unto God. You need to consider yourself, see yourself, think about yourself as being dead to sin, but alive unto God. The same way Jesus is. But there's a third element. Now you've got to act on it. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to act. And we find the action here in verse 12, the very next verse of Romans 12. It says, therefore. Therefore such a cool Bible word. Because anytime you see the word therefore, he's going to tell you to do something based on everything he just said. So he's just been telling you a bunch of things to believe. And then he says, therefore, now he's going to tell you what to do with what you believe. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, I have a question for you. Everybody, put your hand out in front of you, and just kind of hit your, hit your body, you know, just... Everybody say, this is my body. All right. So you know what we're talking about. This is your body. Now, question, that thing you were just hitting, your body, is it good or is it evil? Somebody said it depends on which day it is. (laughs) Now, Brenda, you were quoting somebody else there, right? Oh, Pastor Mark said that. Okay. All right. Let's just do a little vote here. Everybody ready to vote? Okay. How many of you would vote and say, Brother Cook, my body is good? 
Let me see your hand. You're, you vote your body is good. I'm just going to look around here. Now, get your hand up and hold it because I've got to see for a count here. Man, it looks like about 50 people. I'm, I'm just guessing 50, 55 people say your body is good. How many of you, put your hands down, how many of you would say, eh, I wish it was, but no, my body's evil, my body's bad. Let me see your hand all over the place. Okay, not quite as many, but about 35 people are saying your body is, is bad. So let's just say it was 55 to 35. That's 90. What about the rest of you? There's a whole lot more in here. <laughs> Let me ask a third question. Let me ask a third question. How many of you would say, uh, this is probably a trick question, so I'm not going to answer it? <laughs> or I don't want to be embarrassed, so I'm just going to not, and I'm going to wait and see what the answer is. And, yeah, that's what I thought all along. Well, I'm going, to propose, I'm going to propose a thought to you that the goodness or the evilness of your body essentially depends on what you do with it. Because I can take my tongue, my mouth, and I can gossip and criticize and say nasty things about people. I can tear somebody down, insult them, be sarcastic to them. And things like that. And if, I, if that's what I do, my tongue has become an instrument of unrighteousness. But on the other hand, I can take this same mouth and tell somebody, look, God loves you. You are valuable. You are precious to God. I could even say, happy birthday, Pastor Tom. I can say all kinds of things. You know, nice things. Pastor Mark, you look nice today. You look so young. And... Um, uh, you know, I can say, I can edify people and encourage people. And, and all of a sudden, my body, my mouth, my tongue has become an instrument of righteousness. I can take this fist, you know, this hand, and I can punch somebody or smack somebody. Or, you know, I could, I could uh, steal something from somebody. And uh, my hand has become an instrument of unrighteousness. I can take this same hand, though, and I can reach it out to somebody in friendship, greet them, uh, give somebody an encouraging pat on the back. I can, uh, instead of stealing something from somebody, I can reach in my own wallet and give somebody some money to bless them. And all of a sudden, my body, my hand becomes an instrument of righteousness. And see, this is what Paul is saying here. He says... You know, you need to know that your old man was crucified with Christ, your old spiritual nature. You need to consider yourself completely separated from sin. Sin is not your master anymore. If sin dominates you, it's because you submitted yourself to sin, not because sin had the right to do that. You can, that, that listen, I'm sorry, Geraldine, but the devil didn't make you do it. All right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. Um, but I need to know that my old man was crucified with Christ. And I need to consider myself dead to sin but alive unto God. But then I need to present two things I need to do. Number one, I need to present myself to God. And then I need to present my members. See, some people have given my heart to Jesus. Well, that's good. But what about your hands? What about your mouth? What about your ears? What about your... You, don't just give your heart to Jesus. Present yourself to God and then your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to wickedness. 
Now, we do have this, there, there probably would be very good to clarify something here about this body. Is our body good or is our body evil? How many of you, regardless of whether you said your body's good or whether your body's evil, uh, or whether you didn't vote at all because you're a chicken, um, <laughs> how many of you would say, you know, even, even Brother Cook, if everything you just said is true, that, you know, it's, your body is good or evil based on what you do with it, how many of you would say, but there is this something about my flesh that kind of, it, 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 it's kind of inclined to want to do some wrong things once in a while. And anybody here would acknowledge you've got a tendency in the flesh? You're not saying your body's evil, but there's something in here that kind of wants to do the wrong thing once in a while. Anybody here ever encountered that? Um, <laughs> Let me, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had a car that um, had a steering alignment issue? Yeah, yeah. The alignment in the steering was off. And what did that make your car? Your car wanted to do something. It either wanted to veer to the ditch or veer into oncoming traffic. And, and that's not good. So you, you knew that your car had a problem. But does that mean your car is evil? And that you should, like, get some dynamite and blow it up because it's so evil. No, here's what you do when your car has a steering problem. You recognize that it's got a problem. But still, your car, you don't hate your car. It's a good car. But you recognize it does have a tendency to drift. So two things. Number one, you have to counter-steer. In other words, you have to, you don't let the car go where it wants to go. You make the car go where you want it to go. And that means you may have to apply some counter pressure using the steering wheel. But then another thing is you're going to get it to the mechanic when you can, and they're going to fix that alignment problem so that it doesn't do that, so that you don't have to fight against it so much. Now, can I just propose to you that is kind of what the deal is with our bodies Our bodies have not been born again yet. Our spirit was born again. Our mind, our mind really wasn't born again. Our mind is getting renewed. We renew our mind according to, I shouldn't be doing that. But um, we renew our mind according to the word of God. And then we do what Romans 12 says. We present our bodies to God a living sacrifice. So again, you have to present your body. See, your body won't present itself. The nature of your body is kind of selfish. You know, just wants to be indulged, self-indulgence and things like that. That's why you have to make your body do the things that your body should do. Now, how many of you, when the alarm went off this morning, your body wasn't really excited about getting out of bed and coming to Heart of the Bay? (laughs) How many of you, your body wanted to go to St. Mattress of the Springs? Are you with me on that? But you had to say, no, body, you're you're not calling the shots here. I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to get out of bed and you're going to go to church and you're not going to stand there like this, body. You are going to lift up your hands. You're going to worship God. And, and nobody, you're not going to keep 100% of the paycheck from last week. You're going to give 10% of it to God at church. 
and you begin to tell your body what it's going to do. But see, it becomes this process of you've got to know. You've got to know something. And once you know it, then you have to begin to see yourself in the light of what you know. We know that Christ, our old man was crucified with Christ. We know that. But now we have to begin to see ourselves in the light of that. And then we have to begin to act in the light of what we know and what we see. And when you put, yeah, become doers of the word. And when you do that, you're now on a path towards spiritual growth spiritual maturity, you're reinforcing the victory of Calvary and the resurrection in your mortal body. And you're, you're presenting yourself to God as somebody who's alive from the dead. That means united to God. And as somebody whose members are being used as instruments of righteousness unto God. When that banner, 63 to 0, was up on the wall... It spoke of their defeat. But when that was taken off and torn into pieces and everybody got a piece of it, it spoke of their victory. When Jesus was on the cross, that spoke of our defeat because our old man was dying up there. But when Jesus was taken off the cross and every one of us got a part of Christ, when we all have partaken of Christ, that speaks of our victory. Because Jesus has forever identified Himself with us. We need to forever identify ourselves with Him. His death was our death. His quickening, being made alive, was us being made alive. His being raised was us being raised. His seating in heavenly places is us being seated. We need to know it. We need to consider it to be so. And we need to present ourselves accordingly. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for this glorious, wonderful gospel that, Father, because of what Jesus did, not one of us needs to spend another moment separated from you. Not one of us needs to spend another moment under the dominion of sin. Not one of us needs to spend another moment under guilt, shame, or condemnation. But Jesus, even as you identified with us 2,000 years ago, we choose to see our identification with you now. We are so thankful that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. And Lord, that's why you said in your word, as he is, so are we in this world. Because Lord, we're not alone. We're not isolated. We're not separated. We are in you. We are in Christ. And so, Father, we're full of hope today. We're full of confidence today, full of peace today. And I just want to take a minute before we dismiss this service because I never like to close. I just don't want anybody to leave this room today uh, without you knowing that your faith is solidly in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. There was a time in my life where, you know, if you said, Tony, do you believe in God? I would have said yes. But it was just a mental, like a historical belief, like I believed in George Washington. You know, same way I believed in George Washington, I believed in Jesus. You know, I believed they were people who lived. But I wasn't expecting George Washington to do anything for me now. And I wasn't really expecting Jesus to do anything. I just acknowledged that he lived. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. 
But I, somebody loved me enough to tell me, Tony, it's not enough just to have a mental acknowledgement of God. Trust is when you put all of your faith, you give Him all of your life and all of your heart. You're not just mentally acknowledging something. And somebody loved me enough to tell me, Tony, it's not enough to be good. Heaven's not for good people. It's not enough to be, you know, religious. Heaven's not for religious people. You're never going to be good enough, never perfect enough, never religious enough. Heaven is not for good people or perfect people or religious people. Heaven is for one type of person, and that is a forgiven person. And God made that one wonderful way for us to be forgiven. And that was when Jesus went to the cross and died for us, died for our sins, and rose from the dead. I want you to know today that no matter how terribly and horribly you've sinned, you have not gone beyond the reach of His mercy. And I want you to know today, no matter how good of a person you've been, you aren't beyond a need for God's mercy. If you've never put your heart, your faith, your life in Jesus, today's your day to do it. If you've been running away from God, instead of running to God, today is your day to make a real solid rededication of your life to God. I want to ask you this question. How many of you here would say, Tony, I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of God. I know that Jesus is my Savior. I've given Him all of my life and all of my heart. I trust Him with my life today. Let me see your hand all over this place. You can say that with all of your heart. Many, 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 many hands. Go ahead and put your hands down. There may be others that would say, man, I'd sure like to be able to lift my hand and say that. But, but I honestly can't. But today, I want to make that response to God. I, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say, I accept you. I want to say that, you know, I, I want to receive the gift that you gave me 2,000 years ago. I want to receive your forgiveness and your acceptance. Or maybe you'd say, you know, I, I gave my life to God at one time, but man, I've been running from God and I need to turn around and come back home to my Father. I want you to know God loves you. He's there to welcome you, not shame you or condemn you. On the count of three, if you've, not, if you've never given Jesus all of your life and all of your heart, I want you to raise your hand. And, and we're going to pray together. Or if you need to say, I need to rededicate my life to God, I want you to raise your hand as well. And we're going to pray for you. It's going to be a glorious moment for you. On the count of three, with uplifted hand, you're saying, I need Jesus. I need to give Him my life today for the very first time. Or I need to return, rededicate my life to God. One, two, three. Let me see your hand all over this place. If that's you, thank you, sir. God bless you. Are there others that with uplifted hand? would say, Tony, this is for me. Thank you. Way back here in the corner. God bless you, sir. Are there others? I'm looking all over this place. Thank you. Thank you. There's a couple right there. Uh, mom and her son. God bless you, God.